The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic and this is Adam Leventhal, the long-suffering Watford correspondent of (laughs) The Athletic and alongside me, as always for this uh, midweek session, uh, is Mike Parkin. How are you, Mike? Look, I gave myself the weekend off from Watford. I went to watch a Swedish (laughs) rock group on Friday night. Um, I can't remember what I did on Saturday. I'll tell you what I did on Saturday. We got back from, it was in Birmingham, got back. Jet washed the patio for a couple of hours uh, and then on Sunday went for a long walk. Uh, and so as a direct result of that, I'm absolutely tickety-boo. Thank you very much for asking, Adam. Oh, wonderful. Ignorance is bliss. David Cameron Walker, how about you? Yeah, I also um, had a sort of weekend off from Watford. I wasn't there on Saturday. but My week, my activities weren't quite as serene and wholesome as, as Mike's by the sound of it. I was, I was in Manchester on a stag do. And I'm going to be there again this weekend. Aha. Uh-huh. What, for the, obviously for the game, but not another stag no, do? No, not another stag do. No, I'm going to be putting myself through through, uh, through the torture of being at the Etihad on Saturday, yeah. Well, I mean, it's very difficult to sort of sum up the emotions going into a game at the Etihad because I still sort of get into a little bit of a cold, shivery state when I think about David Silva 1, Sergio Aguero 7, Riyad Mahrez, 12. Bernardo Silva, 15. Nicolas Otamendi, 18. And then it was only three after that. 48, 60 and 85. So it finished 8-0. 5-0 down after 18 minutes. And I still vividly, vividly remember sitting there with, with Sam Lee, the, the Manchester City correspondent of, of The Athletic. I almost felt like he wanted, he wanted to cradle me in his arms. He felt that sorry for me. <laughs> It was. It was just. It was just. Oh, it was. Just I remember awful. that I mean, uh, as well. I remember that 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 moment. So, so that would have been in the early days of the Athletic, right? And you have a couple of months into the job. I hadn't quite joined then. I was still working for for Talksport then, and I'd been at the early game that day was Leicester against Tottenham, which I think was a two-one win to Leicester or a two-two draw. So we finished at like. We finished, we wrapped up at about about sort of half two-ish and we couldn't get a cab for love nor money to get back to the station. So we walked from the King Power to Leicester Station, which isn't that long, um, but we had like some heavy kit with us. So it took us about probably about half an hour to sort of to sort of walk our way back to the station. And by the time we left the ground, it was about three o'clock. I was getting updates on my phone and it literally, it just felt like every time I looked down at my phone, another goal was going in and all the guys around me were like going, oh my God, what's going on? And by the time we got back to the train station, yeah, it was about about five or six nil. And it's just, I mean, you know, and this was coming off the heels of the cup final, obviously a few months before that. And that was the last time we were at that stadium, wasn't it? City certainly haven't got worse in that time, <laughs> but we have. <laughs> you were getting updates, Dave. John and I actively weren't getting updates. We made a oh, yeah that day to avoid the score completely and then to watch um, watch the highlights on Match of the Day and record the podcast as we watch Match of the Day. If you want to listen back to that, you can probably imagine how it went. It's podcast 10.12, Calamitous, it was called. So we avoided it all day. I was down at down at Cheshire United 
Um, I'm not, I can't quite remember what John was doing, but yeah, we flicked on um, match of the day and yeah, it was, it was jaw to the floor stuff because of course with highlights, it's even worse. It's, but I don't think they even had to chop anything out for the first five minutes. It was just, uh, I mean, we're starting from a pretty low base, aren't we going to, A, we're in dreadful form and B, our record against Manchester City is, well, it's, it's. At least it's away. Like that's something. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the form away from home is is slightly better than at, at uh, Vicarage Road, which is just it's just uh, I don't know. I mean, you, you look back at the game against Brentford, and I was actually I was actually quite hopeful once they got to one one that they would kick on, and and it looked as if they were gonna they were gonna do it, and then yeah, season in a, in a moment with you know Josh King hitting the hitting the post, Imran Loser spooning it over the bar, and then. Once again, conceding in the last minute, it was terrible, and it was it was a real shame to be honest, because I don't think they deserve to lose that game. And you just thought, look, they just need a little bit of luck, and they didn't get any of it. And look, yes, you can you can analyze it to the hilt, and it was two you know soft goals effectively from two set pieces, and they should have done better. But I, I just I felt for every everyone there and for Roy Hodgson for the players and everyone because they didn't really do they didn't do a lot right but they didn't do enough wrong to get a kick in the teeth like that I mean going back to the Man City game away from home they deserved an absolute an absolute spanking that day because they didn't look like they they even knew what football was. Um, Having said that, they did have an early chance. I remember Gerard Delefeu actually sort of running down the pitch like he'd stolen someone's ball and uh, sort of k- kicking it, just kicking it behind the goal in some sort of shot shot movement. It, it didn't really go anywhere near. And then obviously Man City then scored a couple more goals. I vividly remember it just being almost like an out-of-body experience going to the Etihad. And this time around, I'm hopeful that they can maybe... Oh, I don't know. Why am I even bothering... I'm going to Prague, so I don't care. I'm going to Prague. I'm getting as far away as I can for as little money as possible, uh, where the beer is as cheap as possible, so that even if... Yeah, I, I don't want to know, quite frankly. I'll I'll find out at some stage in the near future, um, but I shall be in Prague, watching the same Swedish rock band, actually, that I was watching last Friday. Christ, so uh, you're obsessed. There you go. Um, I know, a bit weird, isn't it? I um, So, yeah, so I'll be at the game, but the, the, the situation I've got, is and, and we'll try and reflect this on on the, the weekend. I'm going to have to go undercover at the weekend, right? So, a friend of mine who lives in Manchester kind of got really bang into football for the first time properly in his life, kind of just before lockdown, and then kind of really kind of got into it during during lockdown because what else was there to do? So he lives he lives quite near the sort of Manchester City part of Manchester. So he's a City fan, which, you know, I like to remind him all, you know, he's a glory hunter, which he doesn't like. But that's, you know, if you start supporting Manchester City at the age of 33, what, what, what do you expect? <laughs> but anyway, I think partly because his, for his newfound enthusiasm for, for being a football fan and he kind of wanted to do something nice. He, he said to me back in like November, it was, he was like, oh, I bought tickets for the... Um, for the for the Watford away game for you know for the Watford game up at City in in April you know you can come up it'll be great we'll have a weekend I was like oh yeah thanks mate great <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to be sitting in this I'm going to be sitting in with the Manchester City fans on on Saturday trying to conceal my um, my uh, my pain as the as the goals inevitably flow in but but also it means that if we do win 
<laughs> I'll have to just sit there and <laughs> and just you know it would be one of the most amazing results in Watford history, and I'll just have to sit there sit there on my, uh, you know pretending to be annoyed. So I can't win either way, really. Just a very quick shout: if you are up in Manchester and you're staying the weekend, Hemel Storm Basketball are in the playoff final. Um, on on Sunday afternoon. So if you need something sporting um, to wash away what happens on the Saturday, yeah. So um, if you obviously Hemel Watford quite quite close together in the finals of the playoffs. So if you need a sporting event, a local sporting event in Manchester to wash away what we assume is going to happen on the Saturday, I think the scores might be similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's go Storm. Well, look, let's let's just hope that they that they surprise us as they did in in a few other away performances of late. You know, at Old Trafford, I know. I mean, there is no comparison between the two Manchester teams at the moment, but they surprised us at Manchester United. They surprised us at Aston Villa, maybe even Burnley at Southampton. So if they can keep it tight, and let's not forget, Roy Hodgson has led a team to victory at Manchester City. I mean, way back with Fulham. That was a, a big surprise, but they weren't quite the, the side that they are now. But he did win there with Crystal Palace. And there was that amazing goal from Andros Townsend. So he, he has been there and he has won. So he does at least... Well, and he scored a goal. So, you know, his team has scored a goal. So let's just go with, with obviously, just blind hope. Absolutely no expectation, but we will, we will see what happens. The other positive for us is that Dimitri Fourquier won't be on the pitch, at least this time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, poor Dimitri <laughs> Fulkier. Well, look, look I mean, let's, I, I was going to say we've sort of clattered into this podcast without even telling people what is coming up. We are going to be discussing a couple of articles that I've written on The Athletic and we're going to be pulling those apart. One on the managerial situation. Also, we'll be looking into the situation at the academy as well. Mike, I wanted to start with you from, from the point of view of, of the managerial situation. It, it's a difficult one at the moment to sort of be looking too far ahead because Roy is still in the job. I wanted to take you into a hypothetical situation. If if he were to keep Watford up, do you think he would deserve to be the manager in the Premier League next season? Look, Ad, I think you're asking the wrong wrong person here because I've had Watford down since since September. So to think that Watford are going to stay in the Premier League from this this situation is um, uh, is stretching it a little bit. If he keeps them up, it will be a miracle. He will have achieved something quite quite incredible, and I think he will have rescued a situation that was was absolutely desperate. Uh, Claudio Ranieri was, I think, was a, was a dreadful hire. The football under Claudio Ranieri was awful, uh, and so to turn it round and to and to get get Watford safe from from that situation from this situation would be a miracle and therefore he would have to enter the conversation I suspect that Watford will go down and I therefore suspect that Roy Hodgson a wouldn't want the job and b won't be engaged to carry on anyway so I would back that back if you like and say that that point is probably probably moot um, and I think that what is required here as you've kind of alluded to in in the piece ad is that they need to start thinking about a a rebuild because the, I think your point was really, really good and succinct about the way they've lurched from one character trait to the next. And that is no way to build a sustainable team trying to be competitive in the most difficult league in the in the, in the world, potentially, for a, t- for a team like Watford, the size of Watford, certainly. So I think he was given the job for a specific reason. And that was to try and turn around a really, really terrible situation in a very, very short space of time with a pragmatic approach. It doesn't look like it's going to work. So I think regardless of what happens, Watford needs 
really a hard reset starting at the top and that involves the, the the a new head coach so a long answer to a short question but but the answer is for me is no a lot of people will be will be listening to this and when you said the words hard reset and you said there needs to be a change in terms of the head coach a lot of people will be thinking well i think it need a hard reset means a complete clear out you know there will be people listening to this tearing their hair out and thinking well it's not just it's not just Roy Hodgson. It's not just the head coach. It's not just a mishmash of players that aren't quite working. It needs to go beyond that. It needs to be Scott Duxbury out. It needs to be Cristiano Gioretta out. It needs to be uh, Gino Pozzo out. Where are you on the scale of how severe this hard reset needs to be, Dave? I think the real thing that needs to happen is that Gino, in particular, maybe Scott, but I, I, I just get, I get the sense that Scott is a little bit more alive to the realities of the situation I think Gino needs to swallow his pride and come out not necessarily publicly even though I've repeatedly called for that but just he needs to at least internally admit that he's got things wrong and that we've lost control of things and just sort of because I get the feeling that he's stubborn again this is outside looking in but I get the feeling that he's he, he doesn't want to really admit that we've lost our way and that he still thinks that his way is the best way and we can still do it his way clearly we've been repeating mistakes we've had two almost identical seasons where the same mistakes have been made at the same time in the same way so in terms of a hard reset I think there needs to be a change of attitude from Gino this may be wishful thinking and I think this will be the sort of the litmus test will be if we do appoint someone in the summer and there's sort of it's trumpeted as someone that we we want to, we envisage being here for a long time that we're going to back and we want to bring about a new period of stability well okay let's see the proof will be in the pudding if we are struggling in october are you going to hold your nerve or are you going to you're going to pull the trigger again so i don't think we should completely sweep clean the decks and and you know if you want gino out the obvious question is well who next who buys the club that is not a, not an impossibility. There may well be good owners out there, but that was obviously be a long term process that can't be done in in one summer overnight. Really, Duxbury should he go? Should he stay again? Like I don't know. I think he's very easy to pin the blame on him because he's kind of held out as the front man for the whole operation, really. And I think sometimes maybe he gets a bit of flat that's undeserved. Sometimes he gets legitimate criticism, but. I think the hard reset, if there is to be one, needs to come from the approach in hiring the manager. Hire the right one that you believe in, that you are confident is going to be here for a long time. Don't just hire the first bloke that comes along and bin him off if it starts looking dodgy in October. And the reset is required because they've got the player recruitment wrong. The team hasn't been good enough, good enough demonstrably. And the head coach recruitment hasn't been correct demonstrably because we find ourselves on our th- third head coach. Now, if either of those are going to be successful, both have to link into each other. The players need to be there that are able to play for the head coach or the manager that they're going to bring in if they're going to be successful. You've got to get going to have to get out of the championship and then hopefully be competitive in the Premier League. So you have to deliver both things in tandem at the same time. That requires planning. That cannot be lurching around, as I mentioned earlier, for, to, to try and stick a plaster over that because one's really strict. So we'll get a, a nice smiley chap in. 
that that, that is nonsense. Another great quote in your piece, Adam, was from, from Thomas Frank, I think it was, who said, even if it feels like it's going a little bit wrong, you've got to stick with it because that is the ethos. That is the plan. That's how we think we're going to get where we're going to where we need to get to. So you stick with it through through thick and thin. And and when I say hard reset, I think what I mean is big change. And it's big change, and it is going to be from Gino because unless someone comes in with bulging pockets from out of nowhere on a, on a white horse, which is about as likely as me winning Euro Millions tomorrow night, it is going to be him. But what we have to hope... If you do, you buy the have, club. Yeah, you, oh, I'll be off to watch more Swedish, <laughs> Swedish rock, thank you very much. <laughs> but what we have to hope is that he's seen exactly what we have, which has been a... An absolutely appalling season, really. There's been no fun in it for, for a supporter's point of view. They can't have enjoyed it either. Sitting in the executive box, they've got slightly comfier seats. But remember, this costs them. They've got all the headaches that we don't necessarily have. It would have been anguish-inducing for them as well. But they have to change. They have to get the player recruitment right. They have to get the, the head coach recruitment right. But to do that, you need to know where you're going with both those things. And the question for me is, can Gino Pozzo, can Scott Duxbury change the dynamic that currently exists within the club that engenders this this, this, this decision-making that just seems to be scattergun, hasten Jason, recovering from the last bad, bad mistake? And what that's done in turn is made us impatient and itchy and frustrated as well, because... You made a good point there, Dave. If we get our man in in the summer, whoever that may be, the head the, the head coach that we want, or Gino and Scott have set out, they've changed their ways, they've set out this big master plan, uh, a three-year plan for where they want the club to go. This is the guy we definitely wanted, want us to get us there. But we lose our first six games in the championship. What are we going to be doing as a supporter base because of the, how things have been run over the last sort of six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? You can bet your bottom dollar that social media, which I absolutely accept is no barometer for the for the temperature of the entire fan base. But if we lose our six, first six games in the championship, for example, there will be abs- there'll be expectation abound that that manager is relieved of his duties. That is the situation that is of Gino's own making. Because if we if we were to lose the first six games in the championship it might well be the right decision to fire that person who was there at that time. There might be just, you know, justifiable reasons, but because of the history we've got, the decision has a diff takes on a completely different inflection, doesn't it? The most important thing in in all of this, and there are a few elements, and I think it's important to sort of just just go through them. Recruiting the right head coach in the first place is really, really important and you have to take time to do that. And it was something that I learned in the process of writing the article and I found it quite interesting actually. Even though there was part of the Vladimir Ivich appointment, which I, I liked quite a lot because they did take time. They did look at some other options. They always had him sort of earmarked, but they did have other options. They were unable to really get a, a tell on what he was genuinely like because only one of the hierarchy actually met him in person when he arrived and they were able to sort of spend a bit more time with him and see him in action they thought right okay he is <laughs> he is like that all the time and i think that they they realized that that is a difficult thing if you've got someone that on one hand he was doing pretty well i thought he adapted pretty well and you know the, i think the, the point of discussing this in, in detail is that we are potentially going to be heading into a, a championship season again and it, it may well be similar but he did well in terms of sort of having to 
deal with a lot of squad churn, but at the same time, pick up points from the, from the start. But the recruitment process in this circumstance needs to not only bring someone who is a good technician, who has a, a strong confidence in their own ability, but also where they want to take the team, which I think Ivic did, but it just it just wasn't the right fit. But also, if you're if you're going to change the, the style of play, this is where the patience comes in and, and maybe losing a few games at the beginning of the season. You then have to sort of hark back to when Gianfranco Zola first came in. Yes, there was a, you know, there was that crazy win at, at Crystal Palace and it was brilliant. It took a while. It took time. It, ta- it makes me think about when Brendan Rodgers initially came in. Different style of play. People thinking, just put your foot through it. Get rid. If there's going to be a new identity and a new style, then there has to be patience with the new head coach. But that head coach has to be dialed in and made aware that, this person is going to have a little bit of influence. So is that one. They need to be happy with it. But also they need to push back and go, I, I'm happy with that, but I want I want my mate with me. And I also want him out of the way. I've, I don't I don't care what he says. He's not, he's not part of my plans. There has to be a bit of pull and push. And that has to be accepted on both sides. It cannot just be Gino's way or the highway. And hopefully... I mean, that's that's wishful thinking. And a lot of people have said leopards aren't going to change their spots and all that sort of stuff. But hopefully, however arrogant and disconnected you are, two relegations and going through six head coaches must, must, even to the most sort of Teflon-minded person, get through and go, hmm, yeah, maybe I haven't done so well in the last two Premier League seasons. And maybe I do need to just adjust my settings a little bit. And I would hope that that has, that has happened and it can happen. That requires humility and introspection, yeah. doesn't it? You know, that requires someone to hold their hands up. And again, not necessarily publicly, but just it requires them to realise that they've made the mistakes. And my concern is that there'll be excuses will be found. And we'll end up back in the same place. And I hope we won't do, but we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, it, it also doesn't matter how you get to that point. And because it, if you get to the point where you recognise the mistakes have been made, it doesn't even really need humility because now they're going to be in the championship. There's a whole financial raft of massive implications, which even if he doesn't really care about the style of play or so on and so forth, even if he doesn't care about admitting he's wrong in the last couple of years, he's now got some real financial issues to deal with especially if we don't go back up and he, and that could focus the mind as well and it, for me I want him to recognize what's gone wrong and recognize that this change is is needed and I'm not really fussed about how he has this epiphany this this moment of clarity that 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 requires it he just needs to accept it happens. And Ad, I really like your point. I was trying to work out what the job description be should be for the for the new head coach, the new manager. And I think that the, the biggest thing away from football I came up with was dealing with strong characters because I think dealing with the boardroom or the hierarchy is a massive one. And you'd like to think that they would want someone to come in and own that part of the own that part to show some sort of ownership. This is where I'm going to get this team. And how I'm going to do it. And this is what I need you to do. And then for them to be able to have frank and honest and um, constructive conversations. So to deal with the strong characters at board level, deal with strong, strong headed players at, at, the, at the player level as well. Because once we're down, a lot of these players will want out. 
So there's going to be issues to, to be dealt with there and also dealing with, with fans' expectations as well. So it's going to have to be someone with pretty broad shoulders, a pretty firm opinion of where they want to get to and how they're going to how they're going to get there and someone who's willing to fight for it I think that's the top of my wish list really in terms of the the new head coach because with all the will in the world as we've discussed so far on on, on this podcast and and throughout the season and the, the chats other supporters have had about the, the hierarchy and their short short fallings it's going to take it coming from several different angles, I think, to get it to get it right. And we're sort of at the alchemy stage at the moment, aren't we? There's lots of things that we're going to have to get right this summer for the next season to be as good as we as we hope it's going to be. The one thing that is is the positive, but also a negative, is that Watford will, as we are expecting, drop into the championship, but still have a pretty good squad and a squad capable of getting back up into the into the Premier League. There will be enough quality. Uh, remaining. There will be a few players, obviously, that depart. There are a couple of break clauses that I understand in in contracts that basically allows a couple of players just to simply leave on a free and and thank you very much. We'll see you later. There will obviously be high profile sales. We'll expect Emmanuel Dennis to go. Uh, we'll expect Ishmael Assar to go. And then that will allow others to grow into those roles. And there will be other players brought in. But the problem is they may well just drop down and see that they're good enough and that's fine and we're ticking along we're in the top six and and all that sort of stuff um not being not being sort of um overconfident but the championship is is a dogfight obviously and that you need other other qualities not just pretty footballers um you need you need some fight and you need guile as well but Watford should have enough and it may well be that sort of midway through that season, they think, oh, well, we're going to be heading back into, up into the Premier League and we can we can do it our way. But what they need to do is, is to try and appoint a head coach that they can build around and think, similar to how Fulham have done with, with Marco Silva, appoint him at the beginning of the season and, and think, right, we're almost looking at what you're going to do when... We're looking forward to our first game in the Premier League. What you just described, Dad, is is the season that we went up. We got up. We got up because we had the best players, and we sort of had two blokes that, um, without being disrespectful to them, both sort of did their best in the roles and were able to get enough points each of them to to get us up at the end of the season. But neither of them were really the cast iron sort of long term person that you wanted to bet on for the for the long term future. So you're completely right. Again, it all comes back to the same point that you're making in the article. This is an opportunity. It should be seen as an opportunity to 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 change the way we've done things and to try and get control back. Because as Geordie mentioned last last week on the weekend pod, like we we have lost control since Marco Silva, as you've just mentioned, since he left, even though Javi came in afterwards and did what he did, we have still not really been firmly in control of of the of the vehicle, really. It feels like we've always been trying to correct it and get it back on track, and we've never really properly done that. And this, a relegation, a second relegation in three years, feels as though it's the, as good as time as any to try and just just get, you know, try and just get get a grip but again, look, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Would you take a year in the championship and an, an extra year in the championship if it meant that we were on track in terms of a longer term project? Yes or no? If you could guarantee me that, that it would come good in the end, then 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 yeah, yeah. I, 
but I I am also wary again of what Geordie said at the weekend and if you spend too much time in the championship you can get sucked down into the abyss it's possible it's possible you've got 46 games to get it right and it might take a few bumps in the road early doors but I think it is possible to have a full pre-season a little bit of a new style you've got good technicians you've got good players you've got some good young players coming through build with them get up and then have a bit of belief and, and hopefully be able to make a better fist of a Premier League season than this absolute shambles. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Okay, so we talked about the uh, the manager. And if you want to dig out that piece on the Athletic, by the way, uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Rookery End and you can pick up our latest deal if you're not yet a subscriber. Um, a piece that dropped this morning, we're going out on Thursday, is regarding the Watford Academy. Yeah, Watford do have an academy. It is there. But I make the point at the beginning of the piece that basically it's been such a top-down approach from from Gino Pozzo and co. Ever since they took over in in 2012, there was a few remnants left over from from players that had already sort of got up to to first-team level. But ever since, there's not been one single Watford player that has come through the academy and become a mainstay in the side. That is something that I think every Watford fan thinks... That's nah, not right. You've got to be better than that. And I don't know why you haven't seen that as something that you should have done better at sooner. But it appears now that the penny has sort of semi-dropped. It's in one of those old money boxes that it takes a little bit of time to just sort of scale from one side to another and then get down. And it appears that they have now acknowledged that there has been shortcomings. I think that Richard Johnson coming in, Jimmy Gilligan coming in, having had a, a good look at things for this for this season, really, to be able to try and assess and build on some of the changes that they made when they first came in, it appears that they are going to try and get three academy players into the first team squad and not just making up numbers, but three academy players to start off with into that first team squad to try and get a feel for bringing players through. And that will have not only the effect on um, the players' development, hopefully the team's performance if they're, if they're good enough, maybe even some profit, 
but also it will show those younger players that are either in the academy or potentially thinking about joining Watford. And it hasn't been a particularly attractive proposition for academy players because there's a lot of bigger clubs, better clubs, better run academies out there. It might show them that there may well be a pathway from being a young player to play first team football. And if they can get that right, you know, whatever happens in the future, if this is the last season of the Pozzo era or, you know, it's five more years, if they can get that right, that may well, aside from some nice fascias at the stadium and a lovely training ground and the big dome and all that sort of stuff, look, they've done some good stuff. But having an academy that works and is a, you know, it's homegrown. It's all about growing growing your own at the moment, isn't it? It's good for the environment and it's good for the soul. And I think Watford fans would like to see that back. The, the lack of academy players who progressed to the first team, as you just said, in the 10 years since the, pot, uh, since the Potsos took over the club, has been nothing short of a disgrace. I think it's. I think I would have it right up there as their as one of their single biggest failings during their their time at the club, because it is something that is so it's so intrinsic to the values that Watford have held throughout their modern history. We we can all recount so many players that we've seen come through from the academy into the first team, get behind them. We all, we all have our favourites, you know, Ashley Young, for me, Lloyd Doyley, just two of my favourite players. There's there's countless others. And the fact there haven't been any, I, I, I think it's sad and it's a real black mark on their ownership. And again, if there is, if there is, has been an internal recognition that, that doesn't, that things don't have to be this way and that we can do things better, that would be great. And I'm all for that. And I, I really hope that comes to fruition. And you just mentioned there about the needs, you know, we want to show young players, young potential academy players that there's a pathway for the first team that used to be the reason that people joined Watford when they were 14 15 or younger they because you knew that you would get a chance and maybe there have been times in our history where we've probably gone a bit too far that way you know and we had to rely on it too much under Malky and under Sean Dyche when it was chock full of academy players many of whom didn't go on to have a long career in the game but I think if you look at every club in the Premier League every single one with the possible exception of Brentford, who have a slightly different system. Every single club in the Premier League has academy players in their first team squad who are proper players and make impacts, some more than others, but every single one has it. And we don't. And I think that is a, that is a, it's a great shame. And I know it's difficult because you're competing with Tottenham, with Arsenal, with all, with all the London clubs, with Chelsea, with Crystal Palace, West Ham... And it's difficult to attract that talent. And it's even more difficult for Watford in the recent years because that pathway clearly hasn't been there. But surely, if you get it right, it sort of plays into the Pozzo model perfectly because you get players through the door, you develop them, and you have players that you can sell on for, um, at a massive profit if you get it right. Just to try and argue for the, for the opposition in the, in, the, in the interest of fairness, what the Pozzos have done at Watford is, has delivered success very, very quickly. So they brought in a lot of players with a lot of different grades of experience and quality and ultimately have delivered some pretty good times at, at Vicarage Road. And what you're describing, I, I agree with you personally, but what they've delivered by not doing that is has been quick success, which we've all enjoyed. FA Cup finals, FA Cup semi-finals, playoff um, finals, six years in the Premier League of, of various quality. Uh, you can't necessarily deliver that by relying on, on on bringing through youth. And they were very open about that. And I know I, I'm playing devil's advocate, so I don't necessarily want to, to argue it. And also the other point is they get these players get nicked 
So you could invest an awful lot of money in the getting the academy set up to a certain level. It, it, it diverts funds away from, and 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 since. And I spoke to Richard Johnson the other day, friend of the of the pod. We we walked with him on to to Wembley when we were raising um, uh, money for prostate cancer that time. And he said just what a how difficult it is out there to to retain the better players. So just to counter that point, not to agree with it, but just to say the reality of delivering quick success and then or developing players that are going to make it or B that you're able to hold on to is is ferociously difficult but I agree with you and I think what's great about it is that it feeds in perfectly to what we've been talking about in uh, in the main part of the podcast which is about having change and having a change for the better in where we're looking to the future and I think setting a target of having um, academy graduates in the first squad speaks to that it says well here is a here is a potential first step for making this a sustainable football club not only that, in giving a pathway for these players and a and one that is 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 written, if you like, it means that they, we do have a we can fight back against them being poached because we can go back to the days of saying, look, there are a minimum of three places in this first team squad up for grabs every season. I know it doesn't quite work like that, but we are aiming to get you from here, from the training ground, through the teams, into that first team as quickly as possible. You do the business, you work hard, that's where you're going to go. Ignore Manchester City and their, um, their you know, 16 different Nike tracksuits. Enjoy Spurs, ignore Spurs and their, you know, hospitality or whatever it is they offer. Stay here and you can get that pathway. It wasn't there previously and I can perhaps understand why. But I think these first steps, making a target and make it a public target, and I think having Jimmy Gilligan, someone who knows the importance of youth, only too well, having come through the, the system himself at, at Watford, I believe. And Jono, who obviously has has Watford DNA running through him. Again, it goes back to talking about people willing to talk to the hierarchy, to bang the drum for what they believe. I think those two guys will absolutely do that. They wouldn't be in post if they weren't prepared to do it. They've been around now long enough to understand the difficulties of working, perhaps, with, with Gino and, 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 and Scott Duxbury, perhaps. So I think the fact that they've been public with that target, I think that those guys are in charge. And the fact that it indicates a shift away from something that we've neglected before, perhaps, perhaps goes to show that they can change. They can accept when there's been mistakes made. Because as you rightly articulate, Dave, it's, it is a black mark against them, really, because we could be reaping the rewards now. Had they invested back 10 years ago, we could have two, we could have had for two or three years the, the first intake of that big investment it, it has it was it was left to to one side and you could argue that we reaped the benefits of that because we had immediate success but now they're looking to change it and i feel that that's a little green shoot a little kernel of hope that they're looking to to build something sustainable and are willing to put in the effort to turn it around and to, to invest in that change the fact that we have learned and this was via the the supporters committee release notes that it was almost trumpeted as a big step forward that Gino Pozzo and, and the hierarchy were actually sitting down with the heads of the academies and talking about players that they fancied that might be good. You just thought, that's just started now, has it? It shows you, it shows you how distant the academy was from the thought of Gino Pozzo. But look, there is another way, uh, there is another sort of angle to this that, yes, you can bring through English players, British players from, you know, just around the corner. But what Gino Pozzo and the, and the Pozzo Scouting Network has been able to do is bring the best youngsters 
from around the world, you know, from Richarlison or, or Joao Pedro or Cucho Hernandez, you know, this is predominantly from South America, but, you know, African youngsters as well, some who've ended up playing for the football club, some who might have just ended up in court cases in, in the court of arbitration for sport, but that's by the by. There has been two ways to skin a cat, but I think it is it is a really important point. And maybe this goes back to, oh, you know, can he change his way in terms of the, the managerial situation? The fact that they are sitting down, they are listening to the academy potential and they want to see some sort of pathway, it does it does point to the fact that things can change slightly in the thinking of Gino Pozzo. And that's that's what we're hoping because no one at the football club, from Gino all the way down to the players, to the tea lady, to the laundry, whatever it is, and the fans will be looking at this season and thinking, we've done a good job here. It needs to change. And hopefully we are starting to sort of learn a little bit of that acknowledgement, be it the manager, be it the academy, be it recruitment, be it communications, be it messaging, all these sorts of things, they need to be better at it. And hopefully, hopefully we will see some of that in action, probably in the championship. Yeah, I think going down to the championship, obviously, it obviously gives it gives young players possibly, a, obviously there's more games to play and there's slightly less pressurised environment for them to make their first steps into senior football. Shaq Ford seems to be the guy at the front of the queue at the moment, been on the bench in Premier League games, been training with the first team, went up to Liverpool with the first team, as you pointed out, Ad. Seems to be high hopes for him. There's Hungbo, who spent the season up at Ross County, who seems to have done well up there. There's Dan Phillips, who may or may not come back. So there are a few names there. But as you say, Mike, it's it's not just about next season. It's about when what's going to happen in 10 years' time. So, I mean, could we see, could, could we one day see um, Arlo Parkin and Eli Mooney lining up at the back for Watford. <laughs> I'd, have them, I'd have them lining up for Watford this season, Dave. Get them in there at the Etihad. <laughs> well, it is probably going to be men against boys, isn't it? So uh, we will see. We will see. That's how it should be. That should be. It should be the hopes and the dreams. And I think that they realise that. That yeah, if you've got a football club in a town, that should be the aspiration. It shouldn't be a completely closed shop. You should have kids from the local area thinking, I want to play for that football club. And there are kids at a younger age, especially in the the under 15s got to the floodlit cup final. They missed out against Crystal Palace. But there are young players that are from the area that would love to play for Watford, that would love to play in front of the rookery end. And let's hope that we can see a little bit of a gear change as far as that is concerned. Look, we're not expecting a particular gear change in the game against Manchester City. The majority of people are thinking that Watford are going to get relegated, but there is still just that tiny, incy, wincy, teeny weeny glimmer of hope that I'm still holding on to. And I don't care how weird you think I am. But look, Mike, thank you very much for your company. Enjoy being a million miles away from the Etihad? I will. Of course, I will be. I'll have one eye on, on what's going on. And, and I desperately hope Watford could spring a surprise. And look, if everything we've discussed somehow comes to fruition and, and Watford, this big tanker that is Watford, gets turned round, and in, in three or four years, we're talking about Watford being established in the Premier League, then these sort of this this rough old couple of seasons in the Premier League, it might, it'll be all be worth it, won't it? If this is what it's taken for the owners and, and, and the people in the, in the top jobs to work out what's the best for Watford and what's best for them for the future, then it will all be worth it. Uh, so let's hope that we're discussing happier times in future times soon. And Agent Walker, enjoy your uh, undercover mission 
amongst mm, all the luck, uh, celebrating blue blue fans on Saturday. Yeah, we'll do. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna root around in the wardrobe see if I've got any sky blue t-shirts. One word for you, Dave. <laughs> Hip hip flask. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be tough to tough to stomach. I would have thought at the Etihad. I'll be there in the press box. Fingers crossed. All goes relatively okay, and um, there will be there will be the uh, there will be the uh, the wash up afterwards on the next episode of From the Rookery End. If we win, I'm coming to the press box. Tell the editors you're filing on Sunday. We're going straight out. <laughs> yeah, don't you worry. They're not getting an article. They'll just get a selfie of me in a pub, and that'll be it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Anyway, right. Take care, everyone. Enjoy, if you can, the game, and maybe just try and avoid avoid the football on, on Saturday. The Athletic.